I'm thrilled that today's guest, uh, an old friend of mine, Bobby Flay, probably the most well-known chef in the world, man about town. Uh, he's got a relatively new book out, co-author Sundays with Sophie, uh, Family Recipes for Any Day of the Week, and his new series just broke on Food Network, his 27th year, Bobby's Triple Threat, uh, airs Tuesdays at 9 p.m. It's his, I think, 17th series on Food Network. He's written over a dozen books. He's won daytime Emmys. Um, he is a uh, man of the people, Bobby Flay. Thanks for being here, man. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love that intro. Um, well, it's true. You know what? It, it's an intro that writes itself. First of all, before we get into anything else, tell me about the new show. So the new show is called Bobby's Triple Threat, and uh, the premise is that I've handpicked three chefs, three up-and-coming chefs. They, you know, they, they all have a lot of accolades already, but I'm trying to bring them into the mainstream of the world. So I've handpicked three chefs, Michael Voltaggio from Los Angeles, Brooke Williamson from, from uh, Southern California, and a woman named Tiffany Derry from Dallas. And they're sort of my house chefs. I have this speakeasy in a secret location in New York with, a, with kitchens, of course. And then I, I play basically the matchmaker. Um, I, I welcome you to my club. It's one, it's one chef that comes in. They take on all three of these chefs. And if they can beat them cumulatively, you know, whoever has the most points at the end of the night, they win $25,000. It's that simple. Um, hard to do, um, but we've shot six episodes so far. And I will tell you this, um, they don't win them all. So it's been really great. I've, I've had the honor of being on one of your shows, Beat Bobby Flay. How do you, if you said to me, okay, come up with 17 different shows, same chef, uh, same celebrity chef, who, do you come up with the ideas? I mean, I'm a creative guy, but I would kind of run out, I would run out of juice, no pun intended, after about six or seven. I come up with most of the shows that I do, definitely all the shows that I do now I come up with because those are the ones that work. I mean, I mean, you know about this. I mean, when you do something that you're passionate about, as opposed to, you know, somebody trying to fit you into a format that they think that you might work in. There's a difference, and um, you know I come up with I come up with my shows. Um, you know I, I had a show show called Throwdown about ten years ago, and I, a lot of times I get inspired by other shows on TV that are not cooking shows. So you remember um, Ashton did that show Punked many years ago? Sure, of course, yeah. I mean it was a great concept. It was a simple concept, and basically Throwdown was you know inspired by Punked. The movie um, Color of Money, the remake, you know, it's been a long time. I mean, you think it's like 10 years. It's like 20 years ago. And that, that movie was the inspiration for Bobby's Triple Threat. You know, it, you know it was a guy that has, had, had basically, you know, sort of made his bones in the pool halls all around America, you know, making his living. He had, he had done what he had, had done, but he, he noticed this young talent, but he wanted to mentor him. And basically, that's what Triple Threat is. You know, and I created this really kind of cool speakeasy kind of feel to it. Um, we're not playing pool, we're cooking. But it's the same, you know, that's sort of where I get the ideas. I get, I get inspired by other things that I watch besides cooking shows. Because a lot of times what happens is in every genre, something becomes a hit and then everybody decides to do a version of that hit. And it never is as good. So I'm always looking to change the game a little bit. I'm always looking to pull from someplace else to create something new in my genre. Interesting. Uh, we're going to talk about the book and and a show coming up with, with your daughter, Sophie. But let's go back to the beginning. I love the fact that you were at age eight while most of us were asking for G.I. Joes and, and things and, and Stratego and, and Stratomatic Baseball. 
Big Tough Bobby Flay on the Upper East Side says, get me an Easy Bake Oven. I love this. Talk, t- Take me back. Uh, you know, well, first of all, as you can imagine, that's a long time ago. I'm 57, so it's, you know, it's basically almost 50 years ago now. And I was a New York City kid, and after school, I would come home and watch, you know, whatever was on television after school when I was a kid, you know, whether it was like Sesame Street or the electric company or whatever was, was going on at the time. And, you know, marketing, listen, you know, you know, as well as anyone else in the world, marketing works when it works. And I was watching these commercials from this oven and I was so intrigued by the idea that you could bake a cake with a light bulb. (laughs) So I said to my parents, I was like, I have to see this myself. That's what I want for Christmas. And so, um, listen, I also got the GI Joes and the baseball gloves and all that other stuff, but I also got the easy bake oven and, you know, lo and behold, it worked. <laughs> and so you get you, your first job at a pizza Baskin Robbins place. How old were you when you did that? Well, there's two. So there's two jobs. So well, there's the Joe Allen, which came first, the Joe Allen or, or the pizza? But there's three stories. The first one is in, I was in my third or fourth Catholic school in, um, in grammar school at St. Ignatius Loyola on 84th Street. And in sixth grade, I, I started working at Mimi's Pizzeria on 84th Street um, after school. And they, they wouldn't let me do much. They'd let me deliver pizzas. But, you know, in terms of in the kitchen, I, would, I could open the cans of the tomatoes and I could grate the mozzarella for the pizzas. And that was basically as close as they let me get to the food. Then when I got a little older, I worked in Baskin Robbins. There was a Baskin Robbins a half a block from my house. So I worked there scooping ice cream. And to this day, ice cream is like basically my favorite thing to eat. It's, I'm obsessed with it. And then going even further, when I dropped out of high school, I was you know 16 or 17 years old. I was in 10th grade. I dropped out of high school. I went to work at Joe Allen's, which you know, if, you, if you live in New York you know, at all, you know Joe Allen's is a stalwart uh, in terms of uh, you know, it's, it's a Broadway district restaurant. I mean, it's been there for I don't know how many years now. 60? Yeah. I mean, some yeah, crazy it's number. It's an institution. And so, but, you know, not, Joe Allen's is not a place that's known for great cuisine, but it was a good, good, you know, um, American-style restaurant. Everybody went there before and after theater. All the actors went there, et cetera. And so, but I just needed a job. And I, so I started out as a busboy for two weeks. And then after two weeks, I, the, the chef asked me if I wanted a job in the kitchen. I was like, sure. I mean, honestly, Donnie, I had no, no sense that I wanted to cook for a living. But the thing that I realized, and you have to remember, like they were not testing kids for ADD at that point and on and on. I definitely had some sort of learning disability, no question about it. I couldn't retain, you know, what I was reading, et cetera. And so an English textbook was like the devil to me. It was not the way that I was going to, to, to learn. I didn't know that then. I just knew I needed to get out of school. And I basically wanted to go hang out with my friends because that was way more interesting than what I was doing in school. Parents must have given you a hard time about this, dropping out in 10th grade. Yeah, exactly. So, but then when I started, when I started cooking in the restaurant and learning how to use a knife and learning how to make dressings and salads, et cetera, I was just like, I remember, I remember literally waking up one morning, staring at the ceiling from my bed and thinking to myself, oh, I can't wait to go to work today. It was the first time that I was inspired to do anything like that. Right, wow. And I needed to work with my hands. And this is something that I talk about all the time. We need a lot more vocational education yes, in this country because yes, yes, not yes, everybody yes. learns in a traditional way. I mean, it, it, you, you just I trust. I'm, I'm, I'm proof of that. Yeah. And so I, you know, I started working in the restaurant and then about a year and a half later, Joe Allen himself came up to me and said, you know, 
it's great that you work here, but you're not going to really learn anything else here. You need to, you need to go to school. And I was like, go to school. Like I'm, I don't have that talent. I'm not going to be a, a really good chef. I mean, I, I like my job. I'm, I was just happy just doing that. And he said, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like you, like you, you haven't even been able to uh, expose yourself to, to figure out whether you're good at this or not. Like it takes a long time to become a chef. He said, there's a brand new school opening up called the French Culinary Institute. This is 1984. Go down there and just check it out. Tell me what you think. Anyway, I went down there, checked it out. And I was like, you know what? I don't love the idea that it's school again, but maybe this will be better for me. So I, I enrolled in the school. There was nine people in the first class. And um, on the first day of, of, my, of, of going to school, he handed me a check for my tuition. Wow. And he said, you don't owe me anything. I'm inspired to do this. Go do it. Wow. And you know, something obviously I'd never forgot. And it, it helps me think about paying it forward as well. I mean, it's just, it's a great, it's a great life lesson. It's a great business lesson. Many times after I graduated and had some success, I would always say to Joe, what can I do to repay you? What can, is there anything I can do to, to put myself to work, you know, to help your restaurant out? Anything I can do. And he's like, I don't need anything from you. It's fine. And at some point he said to me, he just passed away a couple of years ago, but he said to me, one, about three or four years ago, he called me and he said, I have a favor to ask you. I said, great, finally. What is it? He said, stop telling this story. <laughs> I, I, I'm so tired of telling the story because once you tell the story, all the journalists call me up and they want to hear my side of it. I, please stop telling it. So that was, that was my gift to him. I stopped telling the story finally. <laughs> so you had, you had a few stops after you got out of school and, and the big kind of break for you was Mesa Grill. How did yeah. that come about? Well, Mesa Grill... Um, yes, absolutely. Mesa Grill in New York City, uh, we had three of them. We had one in Vegas and one in the Bahamas. But the headquarters, basically, of my career uh, was Mesa Grill on 15th and 5th. Uh, it was opened in 1991. I was 25 years old. A guy named Jerry Kretschmer, who was, uh, you know, is, is a real estate guy uh, in New York City, built a lot of um, affordable housing. He actually ran for mayor, I think in 1973 or something like that. He was the sanitation commissioner of New York at one point. He's just a total New York guy. He came up to me. He, was, he owned Gotham Bar and Grill at the time. And he came into this restaurant that I was cooking called Miracle Grill. And he said, I just took a trip. This is how crazy how things happen. I just took a trip with my wife to the southwest of the United States. And I'm a New Yorker, but I really want to be a cowboy. And everybody tells me that if I want to open a Southwest, contemporary Southwestern restaurant that you're the guy to talk to. I said, okay, great. And so he came into the restaurant, he had dinner. And then about two weeks later, he called me to a meeting and we decided to, um, you know, put our partnership together. And, you know, he basically said, look, I'm going to raise the money. You and I are going to do this together. We're going to design the restaurant together with the designer. You'll do the menu, obviously. And he said to me, he was a total New York guy. He goes, I'll get you the ink. Like, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure that you get the media that you want. And at the time, there was no internet, Donnie. It was, you know, for, for restaurants, it was Gail Green for, for New York Magazine, and it was the New York Times. That was it. Nothing else. Um, you know, the Post would write some things here and there, but basically, I mean, that, that was basically what you had to worry about. There was no other way to get to people back then. That was it. That was it. And so, you know, you needed, um, yeah, there was, there was no Instagram. There was, you couldn't just take pictures of your food and, and get people excited. You know, 
the Times and New York Magazine had to write about it in a positive way, and then people would show up to your restaurant. Anyway, Mesa Grill opened, you know, we were, we were there for 26 years. It was an amazing run. Just, and it, it made my career, and it, it really shaped the way I was thought of in the, in the business in terms of the way I cook, you know, big flavors, spicy food, contemporary in a creative way. And, you know, from there, that, that, that became, you know, Mesa Grill was my, my foundation, my platform for everything else that happened after that. Before we get to all, all the TV, there's a series on now, The Bear, which I'm sure you've, you've obviously watched, uh, I'm be, it, it, which is a different, it really is this very gritty behind the scenes, what goes on in the kitchen. How You, you watch it and you just, you almost can't believe it. Go, it, it it's, it's like Vietnam in a kitchen. Like, <laughs> I don't mean to, to, in any ways, it just, how real is that? Because it's, it's insanity. What, I mean, it, it just, I'm just curious. I mean, listen, I, the, I think, I think they did a great job, um, you know, bringing in the sense of reality. Obviously it's fiction, but they did their research. Let's put it this way. And with all the grittiness that went down in, in, in that kitchen, the thing that the, the thing that I loved about it the most was that it was incredibly inspirational. There was, a, there was a means to an end for everybody to really become better at what they do, to become pa- more passionate about what they're doing f- every day for a living, as opposed to it just being a job. And I think that that was, to me, that was the, that was the beauty of that show. Yeah, it had nothing that to do with the, the kitchen. It's just people going to work every day and being inspired and just, w- even if it's yes, just, exactly. I open up cans, I'm going to be the fucking best person in the world. That doesn't, doesn't matter. Doesn't. Yeah. Exactly right. So how did the TV thing all come about? I mean, you were kind of a pioneer right now. Food Network is an institution and, and cooking shows and, and food has become such a huge part of our culture. But you were kind of a tipping point. How did that all come about? Right place, right time. You know, they say timing is everything. It's most things. You know, you have, you have to, you have to uh, capitalize on the timing. But Food Network started about 28 years, 28, 29 years ago, something like that. And I remember the announcement. I was at Mesa Grill. Mesa Grill had been open for a few years, and we were sort of the hot restaurant in New York. And I remember thinking to myself, 24 hours of food, this is going to last a week. Like, what are they going to talk about? Clearly, I was wrong by about 28 years so far. And because I lived in New York City, and they were a brand new startup cable network, they had no money, and they were in New York. I got called to be guests on a couple of their initial shows. Mm-hmm. And they weren't flying people in from Los Angeles to be on the Food Network. They had no, they had no money. It was, it was a terrible studio like on 39th Street and 11th Avenue. And like if you couldn't get there by subway, you weren't on, on the network. Right. And I was a guest. And, so, and then after I had been a guest for a couple of the shows, I pitched a couple of different shows. And then a show called Grilling and Chilling was born out of that. It was – my first show on, on, the, um, on the network, it was literally the worst television in the history of television. <laughs> the worst. Why? It was so bad, it was good. It was, like, it was like a train wreck that we weren't trying to make a train wreck. And um, we had no idea what we were doing. I mean, we were knuckleheads. I yeah. mean, it was me and this guy, Jack McDavid. We were outside um, at the back lot of the Home Shopping Network in Clearwater, Florida. We shot 42 episodes in six days. Right. <laughs> like no, live to tape. They had no money for editing. So, you, so I learned how to do TV live to tape. Like we'd, ha- we'd have to hit the commercial breaks. It was actually an incredible learning experience. Yeah. And, it, and it's one of the reasons why I can shoot TV so, so quickly today. 
That's great. That's right. And Iron Chef was pretty much your kind of like mainstay. And why'd you stop doing it after 17 years or how many years you did it? Why'd you stop in 2018, I think? Well, first of all, it was a great Iron Chef, I believe, Iron Chef. Now, I'll just take you back about Iron Chef because there's a story there, which is that Iron Chef was um, a Fuji television production. It was a Japanese production originally, of course. Mm-hmm. And they called Tim Zagat from the Zagat Guide sure. and said, we want to come to New York and we want to put on a big giant special that we want to air in Japan, but we want to take on the quintessential American chef. So he said, Bobby Flay. So he, they, they called the Food Network. The Food Network called me and said, we got this call about Iron Chef. Now you have to remember, at the time, the Japanese version of Iron Chef, every chef in America was watching it on channel 462 at 3.30 in the morning. We couldn't believe what was going on. Right. Okay? Well, we were the only ones watching it. Right. But it was amazing. It was like a cult thing that yeah. was happening. So when I got the call, I was like, I'm definitely doing this, no matter what. I mean, what, a, what an honor. What a great opportunity. And it was not a Food Network production at all. And so basically, they lent, them to, they lent me to them. And we did a, 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 an episode in New York. I lost. The Food Network bought it and then it re-aired it in the United States. It was the biggest ratings they had had by 10 times. I mean, right. it just, it brought them into pop culture. That was it, yeah. And then, we, and then we did a rematch in Japan. They called me three months later and I beat them in Japan. And then the Food Network bought the rights for, for Iron Chef America. And they said, if you want to do this, we're going to do this. And I said, great. But I want to I make sure that I, I'm able to pick the teams, et cetera. They're like, no problem. And I did it for so long. And I, I was begging them. I was like, please let me out of this. Because it is excruciatingly like, exhausting. I mean, first of all, you're cooking 25 dishes an episode. You have to remember, you have to cook five dishes, but you have to make five of each one. So you're making 25 dishes in an hour. It's really exhausting. Every chef that comes in there wants to hit you with a baseball bat. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's, it's, um, it, I had had enough. I had done so many episodes. And so finally I said, I, got, I can't do this anymore. And that was the end of it. Speaking of beginnings or continuations, you recently signed a new deal with Food Network. And there was a lot of talk about, obviously, with the streaming services, with Netflix and the Hulus of the world and everything. And rumors are you, it was about a $100 million deal. You want to you wanna give us some numbers? <laughs> Oh, no, I can't talk numbers. But um, listen, when, when people throw those numbers out there, it makes you feel like you're, like you're worth something. Right. Um, no, um, I'm not going to talk numbers, obviously. But uh, look, it was a negotiation. And it was a fair negotiation. And, uh, you know, um, at the time, you know, Discovery was in the middle of merging with Warner Brothers. Sure. They had a lot going on there. And it was, listen, it was one of those things. It's like when a baseball player goes for free agency, right? Yeah. You, can, you, you just don't get what you ask for. You know, it, it, there, there's back and forth. And then, and, then, and then every once in a while, somebody takes a, a stronger position than you want them to take. But ultimately, it all got worked out. It's, I mean, you know, I, I talked to a bunch of other uh, streaming services and networks and stuff like that. And it was really nice to see that people were really interested in what I had to offer. Ultimately, I... I stayed at Food Network happily. I mean, listen, I have a lot of history there. And, you know, it's basically shorthand. It's like anything else, you know, and I don't take that for granted. Um, you never know if you're 
you know, your viewership is going to basically, you know, stand up and walk with you if yeah. you if you walk away. You know, it's, I've 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 been there for so long. I've been there for 27, 28 years. You know, I've built a really nice foundation of viewership there. So just to kind of like walk away from that to try something else. Well, it's also I think it, I think the it's the best idea. of all worlds for you, where you now have maybe it could be a CNN show or an HBO Max show. So I mean, you stay in kind of linear well, TV, if you will, in, in cable television. But they're one of the four or five big players now, so it's kind of the best of both worlds. Well, well, interesting. That's interesting you say that because David Zaslov, who's the who I'm know, sure said the same thing the, to uh, you in, in, in pitching you. Yeah, he said. Yeah, well, he's a, he's he's the he's the prince of all this. You know, if, if you know who David Zaslov, I'm sure, he's a friend of mine. He's yeah. the he's the chairman now of of Warner. Right, he's the best. I love him. Great guy. And he said to me, he goes, "Listen, I mean, we're going to own it all. You know, we're going to have CNN. We're going to, you know." He goes, "We'll put you in a movie." And I and I and I thought to myself, <laughs> "Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he's going to put me in a movie." Guess what? I'm in a movie. What movie? <laughs> What movie? What I'm movie? doing a movie for. It's called One Delicious Christmas. It's going to come out for you know. It's a, it's on Discovery Plus. It's a Christmas movie. That's great. Um, and I don't even play myself, which I was like, that's risky on your part. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not great. a good actor. <laughs> but that's great. But that's so that's no. The game. It was yeah. a, it was a hard week of negotiation, but ultimately, you know, it all worked out. I, it did. So talk to me about the book with, with your daughter. With your daughter, how old is Sophie now? Sophie's 26. And Sophie, um, she, uh, she lives in Los Angeles. She's a reporter on KTLA for ABC. Um, so she's, you know, she's off on her own career. But one of the nice things is that they let her, um, you know, do some stuff with me at Discovery. So like, you know, we have a, we have a show called Bobby and Sophie on the Coast. We just did, you know, three hours um, along LA and Malibu, et cetera. Um, and that, that aired really well. And lots of people watched it and loved it. Listen, I, I'm lucky. I have a great relationship with my. I have one kid. I have a great relationship with my daughter. Um, she's an amazing kid. She keeps me in line. Um, it works both ways, and um, it's you know, you know. And then so and then yeah. So then um, the book is called Sundays with Sophie. And basically, I wrote this book during the quarantine because you know, like everybody else, I was cooking three meals a day, and this time I actually wrote stuff down, and it made me understand that. You know, Sundays with Sophie is basically she. You know, Sophie is basically filling in for everybody. It's basically, you know, you're you know cooking Sunday meals for your family and your friends around the table, and we did a lot more of that during the quarantine. And it was, you know, that was part of the silver lining of the whole thing, which is that I got to spend a lot more time with her. We got to have a lot more good, serious conversations around the table, um, and had a good time doing it as well. So basically, that this book is the product of of, of that, and so it's basically Sunday dinners for your family. That's basically what it comes down to. I'll find myself sometimes watching one of your shows or guy shows or something like that. And any cooking show, what is it about watching somebody make food that is so therapeutic, that's so calming, <laughs> that's so, you would never, like you just, I get lost in it. Like it just, it's, and I'm not a foodie, you know what I mean? So I'm not one of these guys that by nature is, oh my gosh. But whenever I kind of come across it, I just go into a trance almost. What, what, I mean, you, this is your life. You've obviously thought about this, studied it understand it better than anybody. Explain it to me. So it's two things. It's the transformation of, of ingredients turning into something else right in front of your eyes. All of a sudden, you know, a chef does one or two, three, two, one, two or three things in a saute pan or in the oven or on the grill or whatever it is. And it looks completely different than what it started out to be. That's number one. So it's transformation. And you're watching, somebody, you're watching somebody's craft come, to, come alive. And then I think the second thing is that 
the light bulb go off, goes off and say, you say, I can do that and I want to do that. I'm going to do that. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do it, but at that moment, that's, that's what keeps you there. It's interesting because I, I find that I can't think of anything else I watch where I drift. It, it, it's almost music in a, in a strange way where you just, you're watching, you're paying attention but you're just, you kind of go, I'm, I'm like, how I'm just caught up in this thing. And you, you kind of, it's not a drama. I mean, yes, your shows are dramatic and they have this, they have beginning, middles and ends and they have arcs and things like that. But it's just the actual doing of it that's, it's almost, you. Ch- there's this childlike connection that happens. You know, they have, you have little kids now that's so interesting. Uh, you you don't have a little one, but I mean, my friends have little ones. They, there's, there's things on Instagram where it's basically they'll have 20 million views of just somebody opening a box and taking toys out and putting them together. And, and ch- children just stared at it dumbfoundedly. And it's the same math with adults and cooking. Right. No, I, I, and, and also, and the competition shows, let, let's face it. If you like sports, you like these competition shows because that's what they are. They're basically cooking athleticism, you know? And, and also, we hold the viewer because they want to see the result. They want to see who wins. They want to see who loses. They want to see what happens at the end. So I think that that also, in terms of the competition shows, that's what holds the viewer. What's the craziest cooking show you've wanted to do and haven't been able to sell? I mean, the one that to you would be the Super Bowl of shows or off the charts and just for whatever reason haven't been able to make it happen yet. Well, I really want to bring back, I, w- I want to do something called Food Network Famous where we transform people into making them into famous chefs. You know, we, we had something called uh, next food network star. And, um, and I, and I, I've been pitching food network famous for a long time. And, and so far I haven't been able to, to get them to buy into it, but you know, at some point we'll see. <laughs> so what else is coming up? Well, I mean, we have the book. Um, I'm really, you know, the, the show has just, uh, has, has just premiered. It's on Tuesday nights at nine o'clock and uh, you know, Solid numbers the first week, so we're happy about that, and we just we just want it, we want it to grow. Um, you know, it's it just it makes a busy fall for me. I have, you know, I opened I finally opened my first Italian restaurant. I'm, I don't know I don't know if you and I have ever talked about this, but I'm I'm obsessed with Italy. I go there as often as I can, and I opened my first Italian restaurant in Vegas last year called Amalfi, um, and it's going gangbusters, and so I'm really thrilled about that. So I'm, I want to open maybe another Italian restaurant at some point. Bobby, you're a class act. For anybody who doesn't know him, he's as, he's as nice as guys as he comes across on TV. The book is Sundays with Sophie, Flay Family Recipes for Any Day of the Week, and the new series was just premiered and is a hit right off the bat. Bobby's Triple Threat, it airs uh, Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on the Food Network. My friend, always great talking to you, buddy. My pleasure. Anytime, Donnie. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I hope you enjoyed our episode with Bobby Flay, our Brands of the Week break Tuesday. Once again, we've got our two episodes, Brands of the Week and our big brand interview separated now. And next week, our, our big brand interview would be with George Will, the great conservative columnist. He's got a lot to say. We'll see you next week. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you got podcasts, Spotify, Apple, anyplace else. We'll see you next time on On Brand. Brand.